This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Emma Leonis from Lay's Partner. So first of all, Emma, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Benoit. Thank you very much for having me. Lovely to, to be on the podcast. Yes. Well, you know, I was looking forward to that, that conversation. Emma, do you want to give us a quick overview of who Lay's Partner is and a little bit of a review of your role as well? Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, So Lace Partners is a boutique HR transformation consultancy. Uh, We're based in the UK, but we work with global clients. um, And essentially, we do everything, uh, soup to nuts, as I would call it, or end to end, uh, when it comes to, to HR. So we only work with HR directors and their teams, and we might help them, could be defining their people strategy and, and their HR strategy through to then how do I operationalize that? So what does that mean for the way my team is structured, the way that it works, the services that, that the you know, HR function delivers, how technology plays a role in that, um, kind of you know, choosing the right technology, implementing technology, managing the change, and, and also HR shared services uh, is a key part of that too. So we are, as I say, boutique uh, in the HR space. We are in our seventh year now. Uh, and all of us from an exec team, including myself, come from a big four consulting heritage, Benoit. So just mm-hmm. briefly, two seconds on me. So I'm part of our client executive team at Lace Partners. So what that means is that I will deliver projects um, from a project partner side. And I'm also responsible for kind of the innovation that we do at Lace and our thought leadership and, and also kind of helping grow and, and develop our business. And I'm passionate about HR. Um, so I started my career at Deloitte, fell into to HR transformation, loved it, uh, and haven't really ever looked back, to be honest, and, and just love the people aspect of, of everything that, that we do in this space. I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that has been a, a constant also in my career. The, I mean, just the sheer fun of working with HR leader. I mean, I, I, I think it, we'd have a sweet spot for this uh, demographics in, in general and the kind of challenge that they have. It's always fascinating. And I I don't know if you have the same perception, but I feel like it just keeps getting better. Well, maybe the last year was different granted but you know in the last five to ten years i found that the the sophistication the challenges the maturity the questioning the ambition all that keeps making that industry or that that sector uh so much more exciting yeah absolutely agree benoit i mean ultimately a business is only effective if its people are, are happy and engaged. Yes, there are business out businesses out there that are very um, technology driven, and you know they have a lot of automation, so they might have slightly fewer workforce uh, members compared to maybe you know a completely manual organization. But at the end of the day, it is the people that drive the business, and therefore, I think we've seen 
particularly over the past sort of 16 months or so through the pandemic, but even before then, I would argue as well, the role of, of HR and the, and the importance of people really coming to the fore at the C-suite level. And so it is such an exciting time. It was exciting before the pandemic. The pandemic has thrown up completely new ways of working around that. It's changed things in a way we never would have expected. It's accelerated change beyond belief. And yes, whilst it's been challenging, I would like to think there are lots of positives in terms of ways of working that perhaps we can now take from that. And that's quite exciting in some ways for, for HR directors and their teams to, to think about, well, how do we now adjust to this and how do we take all the good things and keep building on that? And the the research that interested me to have this conversation was something that you and the team conducted on the future of HR shared services. So mm-hmm. I'd love to dig a little bit on that because you know let's let's start with the with the beginning what do we mean by hr shared services just in case some of our listeners are less familiar with the terminology sure sure so um hr shared services um a lot of organizations um hr functions will be structured around perhaps the the traditional ulric model Mm-hmm. Very well-known model. You've probably heard of it, Benoit, in HR. So when you've got your specialist teams, your you know centres of expertise. You've then got your business partners who are there providing that day-to-day um, strategic advice um, to the business, be it leaders, be it you know senior managers. And then you've got um, your shared service teams, which traditionally, and this is doing the case in some organisations as well, and that's that's not a problem at all, would be the administrative part of HR. So that could be data management, document management, day-to-day query management and an issue resolution for you know employees, line managers, etc. But very much kind of doing that day-to-day transaction and admin work as a support function for the HR teams. And Maybe, Benoit, is it helpful if I just kind of say sort of what, tr- why we did the research? Yes, yes. It was a trigger. Yeah, what triggered it? Um, so I'm super passionate about HR Shed Services, as I know you know. And one of the things throughout my career that I've been particularly interested in is as you've got digital and that's been evolving and increasing in its capabilities, particularly over the past sort of three, four years, not just from a core HCM platform side, but also more from the service delivery element. So, you know, the way that you interact on a day-to-day basis, whether you do that through chats, whether you do that through telephony, whether you do that through, you know, knowledge management portals, all of that stuff. As that's been evolving, that has enabled, I think, different ways of working um, within shared services. And so I think has started to potentially challenge some of the traditional perceptions that we might have had around what the role of shared services is. And personally, I have a little bit of a bee in my bonnet, if I may say that, um, when I hear people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, HR shared services is just there to do the admin stuff, just to support the HR function. Yes, that is absolutely true. But at the the same time, as we want to evolve the overall objectives of a people or HR function, we want to step up more. We want to truly be at the center of driving value and driving change in business. That means we need to look at what we do and how we do it. And therefore, with digital enabling new ways of working as well, it does pose a really interesting question, which is what should the role of the various parts of HRB, including shared services. 
So we did the research, just I guess just Benoit, to sort of see what the status quo was across a different variety of organisations, all shapes and sizes. Um, we weren't prescriptive. We, you know, cast the net out and, and spoke to 25 different organisations from 1,500 employees all the way up to 100,000 odd across multiple geographies, multiple industries. So what is the status quo? What is happening in terms of some of the trends that we're seeing in terms of new services or new ways of working? And what do those leaders think is going to be really key to the future success of their own functions, so shared services, but also the people function as a whole? And it makes sense that if, you know, to use the the, the tired ex- expression of HR, having a seat at the table or being strategic, adding value and so on, if this is becoming the one of the defining feature of HR, it sh- should apply to the parts as well, right? I yeah. mean, if collectively HR has to be strategic and add value and all that, well, then, um, yeah, it triggers a question, okay, but for the part that traditionally was seen as the more tactical and transactional, what do we do with them? So where do you see that going? Is it that with automation and, and all the different tooling, we can elevate the role of shared services? Mm-hmm. Is this one direction or are, are there any other way where it's evolving? Yeah, no, it's, it's a brilliant question, Benoit. And, and I also appreciate that not every organization will be in the same place in terms of perhaps the investment that it can make in HR and digital enablers, for example, but also what might not necessarily be in the same place in terms of its transformation journey overall. So there's a couple of ways, I guess, to answer your question. So I absolutely see that the role can definitely evolve through using digital, as you've said. And what that sort of manifested itself as in some organisations was by freeing up capacity to um, do certain things within the shared service team, that enabled them to perhaps take on more roles that perhaps some of the specialist teams or even the business partners were doing. So some organisations in, in the research had actually started to build what we've kind of called in the in the report a people manager advisory team. Now, some, organize, some people listen to this podcast will say, but we do that today anyway, don't we? Because we answer day-to-day queries. Yes, that is true, but this is slightly different. This, what these particular teams were doing with that people manager advisory layer within their shared service functions was they were there on a day-to-day basis, actually providing the more strategic day-to-day support, the more kind of information related to grievance, to disciplinary, to I'm going to coach you through that situation. You're a brand new line manager. Let me help you actually understand what you need to do, how you're going to do that. Now, in a lot of organizations, that might be the role of a business partner. Mm-hmm. It could be either, right? There's no right or wrong to this. This all depends on where you are in your journey. But it, but that actually was something that was a relatively new capability and quite a mature capability in some of the, the organizations in the research. And then others had actually sort of started to look at maybe the skills. So I'm conscious that, as I said earlier, you may or may not have the ability to invest lots of money in shiny new tech. And tech isn't a silver bullet. I wish it were. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all wish it were, right? <laughs> yeah. So if you don't have the money to invest in some of those things, I guess the question is, what can you optimize from what you've already got? Because there probably is more that you could get from what you've already bought. And also, how can you maybe evolve some of the critical skills that you might need to help you start challenging the status quo? 
So some of the skills, again, thinking about, you know, what, what, what we'll be seeing around the evolution of shared services. Some of the skills that um, the teams within shared services in the organizations were, were looking to build were not just about the day-to-day functional or technical expertise around, I know how to do this process in HR. For me, and for a number of the individuals that, I, that we spoke to, that's kind of a given. And actually, you can always teach someone how to do a process. Mm-hmm. What, you, what is difficult to do is, and a lot of this actually comes to behaviors and mindset, not necessarily just skills. But I think the challenge comes in finding individuals who really can put themselves in the shoes of the individual that they're speaking to. So you and I are having a conversation now. How do I put myself in your shoes if you are a brand new manager in a role, need some support, you may never have dealt with a grievance before, you may not know what to do, you may need to empathise. So you need individuals who have that EQ we also need individuals who are curious thinkers because there's always a different way of doing something and we know change is constant and the HR function needs to embrace change, needs to embrace ambiguity. Leading HR functions are doing that, but they're doing that not by assuming that one part of HR is responsible for that. For example, a change team within HR, mm-hmm. they're encouraging that behavior and recruiting people who have that curiosity the willingness to learn, to bring the outside in, to ask why are we doing this? And actually, sometimes that means that it's individuals who don't come from a traditional HR background at all. They might come from customer services or contact centers. Um, they might come from IT. You know, they might, you know, might, they might even come from creative media. It doesn't really matter. It's, it's more about actually what is what is the skill that I require to be successful, to help me evolve my proposition and, and develop um, a really compelling experience for my, my teams and also the, the service that I provide and changing some of the hiring norms on their head, I think, Benoit. That's a very long-winded way of answering your question, but I thought it'd be helpful to give a couple of examples where, yes, you've got technology, but also if you can't invest in that, what else are organisations doing and looking at? Yeah, and no, it's a, it's a beautiful answer. So if we take some of the skills or competencies that maybe business partner would be tasks that they would be conducting. Maybe we send some of these capacities also to uh, the shared service. I I suppose down the line, it means that with employee self-service and manager self-service, we can probably free up some time and capacity in those shared service so that they too can become a bit more of an advisor, which... Um, and I'm just summarizing here, if it, it means then if they also, just like business partner, who aspire to be more of an advisor, the shared service can also bring some level of advisory. Where do you draw the line between both, between the business partner and the, um, the shared service employee, understanding that, of course, it will change from one client to another. But have you seen a, some criteria maybe to divide the, the work between both? Yeah, yeah. It's, again, brilliant question. And I'm also conscious that there will be, probably be people, again, who say, what you're saying, Emma, is, is not really any different to what we want to do. And in some respects, that's true. But it's the what we want to do. And when, when I, you know, I work, I work with organizations on a daily basis, um, as we all do in LACE, and the amount of times that I hear, yeah, I really want my business partners to be strategic and I want shared services to pick up 
some of the other activities that enable them to be strategic, well, you're still on that journey. So something mm-hmm. somewhere isn't isn't quite working right because it's easier said than done, isn't it? So how do you draw the line? I mean, for me, business partner, strategic business partner, that role and that title, we've been talking about it for, for many, many years now, Benoit, and some business partners truly are strategic. They are there and they are at the coalface with their business leaders, you know, head MDs of business units, or it might be sub-sub-business units, geographies, whatever it is, and they have a clearly defined people plan aligned to that business unit's business plan. They've got clear objectives, they've got clear outcomes, um, and they have all of that really well aligned. And they are focusing purely on how they understand the interventions, therefore, that are required to deliver that plan, and then working with the rest of HR to make that happen. But I see that in only a handful of organisations that I speak to. So it is still a journey. And that's where, where we should be drawing the line. We should be saying, and I'll rebrand the, the kind of role as a people consultant role so that it feels more consultative. Mm-hmm. That's what a business partner should be doing, consulting on the plan, the solutions that are required, and then getting others to help deliver that and make it a success. So if you draw the line and say, so I'm going to be owning the strategic elements, so business, division-specific people planning. I'm owning the workforce plan. I'm doing talent and succession planning. I might be managing organizational transition, M&A, for example, in, in some cases, and also in that kind of really senior people consultant type role, I'm looking at people insights. So I'm using all the data that's available to me, and I'm helping them determine what the right trends are, being predictive. That is quite a uh, big line to draw. And, and it's, a, it's a difference in capability, I think, then to what we might see in a lot of business partners at the moment, because the business partner population in, in a lot of organisations is so big. And actually, to do all of that, you don't need lots of people, you just need the right individuals, which means everything else could either be delivered by specialists or by your shared service teams. And in the kind of report, we've called it um, the future of shared services becoming people experience and solutions experts for the very reason that what we're saying is if you have your people consultants or legacy strategic business partners focusing on all the things I've just said, that then enables you to say, well, how should I deliver the rest of this? And I actually, you know, if if I'm a a kind of shared service leader, I want to try and break down some of the silos with the the legacy specialist teams or COEs. Because again, one of the challenges that we hear is they tend to potentially operate in silos, the specialist teams, um, mm-hmm. delivering great solutions, but they act in silos. And they may not deliver things as quickly as are required to then meet the business need, which is then why you get other parts of the HR function picking stuff up when they shouldn't be. So there's a question which says, actually, if you evolve the role of shared services, why can't they, A, be responsible for really driving the experience the people experience, um, because they are on that day-to-day cold face of the query management, the transactions, all of that type of thing, but also driving solution creation. So in some organizations, I see talent acquisition teams end-to-end sitting within a shared service function because they're starting to, to break down those silos. So there's lots of different things. And I don't have the right answer because, as you've said, every organization is totally different on a totally different journey with totally different business priorities. But I do think what we cannot do 
is look at these roles in isolation. If we want to change one of them, so you want to elevate the role of shared services, you then have to look at the role of the business partner and your specialists at the same time because of the interdependencies. Yeah, in the end, it's your your whole HR service delivery model and, and mm. it's, it's a web of interaction. You cannot just... Um, move one piece without moving the other, or you cannot declare one group to be the strategic thinking organ and the rest are pure yeah. transaction. So you mentioned a change maybe in the type of skills and competencies, even sometimes a, a change in the, the source of talent that you bring into those HR shared services. What else tend to happen when organizations want to go from the traditional shared service model, the transactional, to something a bit more people consulting type? What else do you need to look at when you want to start this, this journey and this transformation? So two things immediately spring to mind on that one, Benoit. One is you might be trying to change lots of things at once. So the question is, where do you start, I guess? Mm -hmm. And that comes down to having a really clearly defined people plan and HR strategy and priorities. And again, some organizations do this brilliantly. Others struggle because everything's a priority <laughs> because we want to help the business. You know, that, that's what HR is there to do. But we have to somehow get much better at prioritization and being really outcome driven. Which is why for me, in every conversation I have with a client, I will ask the question, why are you doing that initiative? What problem is it solving and what value is it going to create? And by value, I don't mean monetary um, necessarily. I actually mm -hmm. mean it could be experience. It could be effectiveness. It could be creating capacity. It's, it's, this for me is not about taking cost out. So that's part one. But linked to that, if you do have a clear plan, again, what I find we, we sometimes do is Even with that clear plan, we try and do everything and we've got to try and manage change in bite-sized chunks. So there's something for me about how we reframe perhaps our approach to managing change. So trying to do things that actually might be relatively quick win to start with. Again, it's easy for me to say this when we've all probably trying to do it and et cetera, and it can be challenging, but pick a few things that you think will make a difference implement them, prove one way or the other, because sometimes they might not work, but that's okay. You know, we'll learn as we go and then take your next chunk. So there's something for me about breaking the change journey up into bite-sized chunks. So we manage the inertia because otherwise we will start something and never finish. That's one, one element. And then the second thing that jumped out when you asked that question was, There's no point trying to do any of this if you don't have a stable foundation upon which to build. And the number of conversations that I, I have with organizations where they are still trying to fix the basics or perhaps haven't realized that they need to and are trying to implement, let's say, for example, they might be implementing chatbots or, or AI. It could be AI in recruitment. It could be, it could be AI in a chatbot sense as well um, for day-to-day -day queries. They're trying to do that but they don't have robust data. They don't have clearly defined FAQs. You know, the AI needs that. That's what it learns from. That's how it evolves. So unless you've got some of these table stakes, basic items in place, you're always going to trip up somewhere. And unfortunately, that basic stuff is not the sexy stuff. It's not the stuff that the business cares about. 
the business only cares when it goes wrong. They don't care that you're doing the work because for them, it's like, well, that should be fine anyway. Your, your own house should be in order. That's not my problem. But I do think sometimes we, we jump too quickly to, oh, let's try and leapfrog and put this in because one of our competitors is, is doing that. If you've not got that stable foundation, if you're not able to articulate your journey, the value, the outcomes and, and have that kind of phasing of change, it's going to be a challenge for you. Yeah, transformation is a lot of work and there are rarely any easy uh, shortcuts. Does that change, and I think you alluded to it, does that change the KPI, the metrics, the indicators that leader would be looking at? Because in the traditional model, Mm -hmm. one can assume that you would have your typical call centers, even metric, you know, call handling time, case close and all that. But obviously, if you are becoming more of a people experience consulting type Mm -hmm. of function, then you might be looking at different indicators. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there will always be an expectation from the business that any shared function, be it HR, finance, whatever, is cost effective. So you've got to measure that somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. It's given, right? If you're not cost effective, there's something wrong. But to your point, there's the other dimension of that experience piece and how you kind of measure the value. Because you've got operational excellence, you've got experience excellence. Both create value in different ways. So what was interesting um, when when we spoke to these organizations was, first of all, do you measure anything? Yes, no. Um, and there were a couple of organizations that said, um, we do measure things, but it's not formalized. So in, in the report, I think it's sort of nearly 70% or something um, of organizations said that they did have a formal performance uh, dashboard in place and KPIs. So there's nothing wrong if you don't necessarily have one in place, as long as you're actually consciously thinking about it, <laughs> which interestingly, the, the couple of organizations that said they didn't have anything formalized were they were in the process of formalizing it or you know that they had one but they didn't formally report externally on it if that makes sense Benoit Mm -hmm. but on those dashboards what I was really curious to understand was yes we know you need to be cost effective or have operational measures so are you measuring those and I was expecting the answer to be 100% yes interestingly it wasn't (laughs) and then I was also interested to understand If everyone, which they were in the research pool and also beyond, is pretty much saying employee experience or people experience, if I use a broader term, is our North Star, then all of us in some shape or form should be starting to measure that. So I was slightly surprised to find when we looked at all of the the data points that just under half of the organisations actually had any kind of employee experience measures plus their operational um, effectiveness measures. And in the report, we give some examples, and that's that's all they are, right? They're just examples um, of what different organisations were using to perhaps measure that experience side, as much as also, as you said uh, earlier on, the operational piece. So, you know, the quality, time to hire, um, call abandonment rate, payroll accuracy, all brilliant things. Definitely need to look at those still. They're important. But what were the experience pieces that people were looking at? And most people who were looking at that had started to look at um, employer net promoter score because a lot of organizations will use that with their customers externally. You know, your customer um, promoter score. 
uh, and they were looking at that therefore internally using various different platforms. But again, back to your question earlier around, you know, where do you start um, dependent on where you are in your journey? I think a lot of organisations would probably be surprised if they actually looked at the data that they already had to realise that they already have probably some of those examples um, for experience measures, such as people who might be commenting on how helpful a knowledge article is online, for example. You've probably got forums that you, you have where people will be giving you anecdotal feedback. You might also potentially have kind of, if you look at your self-service um, usage, so I'm going on and the first thing I want to do is try and find an article that helps me figure out the answer to my question. That's what we tend to, to want people to do to self-resolve. They then might not find the answer, so they might then click and say, I've got a query. If you actually look at those statistics, that can help you understand what information is relevant and is working versus what's not, for example. Because if someone clicked on an article and then called or raised a chat, maybe it was because the article wasn't robust enough. So there's lots of different things that in various different forms, be it tangible measures, so you know hard data points, be it anecdotal feedback, or even be it volumetric information, the organisations will probably already have. But the challenge, I think, is knowing how to get them and how to use them and how to continuously improve. And with the pandemics or um, all the change that happened within the last year, there are clearly more people working remotely or in a hybrid or distributed fashion. So likely more demand on HR service or a different kind of demand on on shared services. Have you had a chance to talk with clients on that? And then did you have any learning on on how shared services are evolving based on the last year? Or is it, you know, they were built for that and it's business as usual? Yeah, brilliant question. I think one of the things that probably shared service teams have had to rethink um, some of the processes, for example, that they might be supporting around onboarding. So, you know, a lot of a lot of us um, have been onboarded remotely mm-hmm. over the past um, 12, sort of 18 months. Not everyone, but, but a lot of us um, will have been onboarded remotely. And onboarding in itself is a really interesting process because it's not just HR's responsibility, uh, even though as a life cycle process, it sort of sits under HR, We all know you need IT involved in that. You probably need facilities or or real estate involved in that and others. So it's a complex process to get everyone to come together around. And some of the organisations that we spoke to last year, um, you know, I've been in touch with them since, and they've actually picked out onboarding as an example of a make or break for them from a shared service side, but also from, from HR as a function overall. And those that have done it really well and adapted quite quickly to the need to flip to everything being virtual and therefore changing some of the processes in in onboarding and ways of working have found that what made it a success was everyone coming together across functions. So that for me is an interesting point because employee experience in itself is not just the remit of the HR function to own. Every part of an organization impacts someone's experience. 
And onboarding, I think, has has been a really interesting case in point around that over the past 12, 18 months. So, yeah, I I saw particularly more demand in that space um, and more demand for speed of it. So I think it's, it's really challenged those processes and some of the basics around that from a shared service side, which is quite interesting. I think also what's sort of happened over the past 18 months or so is it's brought the role of shared services within the HR function more to the fore in the sense of I think people and and other individuals within within HR now really truly understand the value that that capability, if I call shared services a capability, can bring to success, which which can only be a positive thing. You know, back back to the point that we were talking about at the top of the podcast, Benoit, around the legacy perception of HR shared services. I really think that's changed because of just the amount of, of things that those teams have been having to deal with on a day-to-day basis as well. And also what I've seen more is over the past sort of 12 months, everyone who's flipped to working digitally will have implemented Teams or Zoom or, or some sort of collaboration technology. Again, that has changed the way that people might start to interact on a day-to-day basis to get support from HR. So lots of different things there. What I'm really interested to understand is all of that's fantastic. Where do we go from here? What's next? So um, what, fingers crossed, we will be doing shortly is a bit of a a refresh of some of the themes from, from last year's report and just seeing kind of, is it the same? Are there slight nuances? what was interesting last year was a lot of organizations had moved to using service delivery technology for the reasons I've just explained. So portal, case management, chatbots, you know, all of that good stuff, as well as their their core platforms and their their sort of best of breed or, or vertical solutions around that. But what they said was, in terms of their roadmap, they wanted to focus on optimizing the use of the service delivery technology. So I'm quite curious now to, to understand what else would require optimizing? Because the past 12, 18 months, they've definitely been doing that. So watch this space, Benoit, I would say, for, for kind of what might yeah. be coming next. But um, but onboarding is a brilliant case in point for I think just just how people have had to to really change the speed of delivery and work much more collaboratively across teams within organizations. And, and HR has been driving that, I think, in a lot of them that I've spoken to. I mean, it really tests the, the strengths of the model, of the competencies, of the, the skills that you have. And if now the, the thinking is further digitizing or optimization, um, yeah, no, I, I agree. I'd be curious to see how, how it's evolving. And, uh, well, I might have to invite you back to talk about this <laughs> <the proper> time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe if I just add one, one final thought, Benoit, just on that. I'm conscious I have spoken, you know, about technology throughout my answers here. Um, I've also mentioned about skills, but for me, ultimately, a successful shared service, be it HR, finance, wherever, but particularly thinking about HR and the people function has to be based upon understanding where human intervention matters, because you could digitize to the nth degree, which might be the right thing to do for some organizations. But at the end of the day, when someone is in time of need, all they really want to do is speak to someone. So it's also about knowing where that's really, really important and managing that from a cost-effective side, because clearly you can't have high touch for everything. <laughs> I'm not sure any organization would really allow that, but really being clear on where those critical moments for that 
human interaction are and making things feel personal, but equally not personalizing them to the nth degree as well. So, and that is a really interesting opportunity for us too, to really understand what is it that really makes the difference because it's probably only a handful of things. And if we get them right, the world is your oyster. Um, you know, we could do anything else that we wanted to. Yeah, because the, it will be a balance of personalization through smart technologies that figure out what's the issue and solve problem faster or that present content and information to user in a personalized way. And then you have the other meaning of personalization where you speak to a person who's able to solve your issues or even offer some kind of support in a more personal yeah. Relatable way, and I think yeah, that the the interesting future will be the co-evolution of that. Mm, absolutely agree, absolutely, and that's exciting, isn't it? You know, working yeah. out what the right option is, and, and actually providing people those options in terms of the channels, the way they contact, also probably options around the solutions that they're provided. Which I know is not what we're going to talk about today, but that whole kind of what people expect now from work is quite different to what it was, you know, eighteen months ago. So, well, I, I can only imagine all the cases of my employer wants me to go back to the office, but I move house in the time or I want to stay home. Now, how we handle that? I mean, you're going to have a lot of the, these conversation or, or, mm-hmm. or questions where we don't necessarily have uh, the equivalent of jurisprudence. We, it's not like we can look at a lot of past use case. It's, it's that new world that open up all these possibilities and now we have to deal with this potentially hybrid way of working so well it's it's like being in the front row of a uh, you know a marathon or a championship but uh thank thank you for sharing with us your your views your learning so far um and as i said we'd love to follow up on that conversation once uh, we learn a little bit more where can we learn about your work Yeah, so the report, um, which is called The Future of HR Shared Services, Becoming People, Experience um, and Solutions Experts, very long title, I know, is available. We'll make it, show notes. We'll make it simple. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll abbreviate it for, for round two. <laughs> That report is available on the Lace Partners website, and it's on our insights page. So if you're interested, you can find a bit of a synopsis of it on there. And all you need to do is just put in an email address and you'll get a copy. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no, thank you, Ben. We're happy to chat anytime. Um, I love hearing what others are doing and just sharing insights, having a bit of a debate about things. So thank you very much for inviting me on today. Thank you. This was Abroad Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardivelli and I thank you for your time.